Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, adults in Hamilton may not have a choice about which COVID-19 vaccine they receive. Chief Medical Officer of Health Dr. Elizabeth Richardson will join us to explain. Dr. Teresa Tam is reminding Canadians that with COVID-19 still out there in the world, even after we all get vaccinated, there is still the possibility that new variants could develop. Can we expect a fourth wave? And as of July 5th, fully vaccinated Canadian citizens and permanent residents no longer have to quarantine when they enter Canada. Not everybody's impressed with the new government policies, though. We'll talk about that as well. It's all coming up on the Bill Kelly Podcast, and it starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Let's get right into it with vaccines. It appears that infectious disease experts and epidemiologists are pretty much in lockstep right now with each other about when it comes to mixing vaccines. Global's Dave Woodard has some details for us. This is like just going to the gas station. You know, we don't care about the brand. Dr. Peter Uni is the head of Ontario's science table and says the two mRNA vaccines are virtually interchangeable. Toronto Emergency Room physician Dr. Kashif Pirzana agrees and says especially with the Delta variant around, the important thing is to get a second the Pfizer and Moderna being, you know, interchangeable, great vaccines, I don't think anyone should cancel one over the other. Epidemiologist Dr. Jeff Kwan says he understands why there may be some concern. Serious side effects are very rare uh, compared to the very real risks of getting COVID. Dr. Pirzada admits it's concerning the advice changes, but that's because we're fighting something entirely new here in COVID-19. Dave Woodard, Global News. Key elements there. Thanks so much for the report, Dave. I want to get some clarity on this, and we're pleased to welcome back to the program Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, Chief Medical Officer of Health for the City of Hamilton. Uh, Dr. Richardson, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us today. Good morning, Bill. Good to be with you. It is good, and there's some changes going on. Before we get into it, to the to the vaccine uh, mixing that, that some people seem to be concerned about, let's maybe talk about where we are uh, as far as Hamilton is concerned. I know we were declared a hotspot uh, a few days ago, and there's a new protocol now as to who's eligible for vaccines? That's right. You know, it, it is the case that we were declared a Delta hotspot last week, and so that does bring us uh, up with an accelerated eligibility for second doses of vaccine. So tomorrow, um, the uh, the eligibility will expand to anybody who received an mRNA vaccine before May 30th will be eligible to book for a second dose. And then by the end of next week, we're expecting anybody who's over 18 will be eligible to book their second dose appointment as well with an interval of at least 28 days. So that's good news in terms of moving forward. So there we are now with the new provincial regulations and, of course, what's happening here in Hamilton as well. Uh, I guess the first question we have here is, uh, do you have enough product? Uh, because I know there's some concerns about uh, the availability for Pfizer, for instance, over the last couple of days. Yeah, so we do. We have a, a lot of uh, different um, vaccines coming in over the, the next few days between Moderna and Pfizer. We do have uh, each of those coming in. The slowdown that has been talked about is really into July. And so that is when we've heard from the federal government, heard from Pfizer, that there is expected to be some slowing down in supply. They're still going to make all their commitments, but um, it'll just be a, a little bit slower. But for the next few weeks, we have lots of doses um, in Hamilton. We've put 35,000 appointments up on the system, should be up there at this point across all of our vaccination clinic sites. So we are continuing forward. It may take a little time. There may be a little bit of uh, a couple of weeks when people get to booking by the end of next week. But, um, you know, the important thing is to keep on moving, keep on going forward, get your uh, your vaccine appointment booked and uh, get that, sec- that first dose if you haven't been vaccinated at all yet or your second dose in, in your arm. 
Uh, you can concerned at all, or are you uh, at this point actually uh, confident with the vaccine rollout and the, the percentage of, uh, of the population that are actually getting the sleeves rolled up? Well, we're sitting at about 72% at the beginning of yesterday. We'll get updated numbers shortly today, but about 72% in terms of Hamiltonians that have been vaccinated over the age of 18 and about 55% of uh, youth that are 12 to 17. And so that's uh, really good news in terms of both of those coverage rates. About 22% of adults have actually received their second doses as well as of yesterday. And so that is good news as well. We do want to see all of those numbers continue to go up. So we do want to continue to see the, the number of people who've had their first dose continue to rise. And that's something that we're quite cognizant of in, in, in this environment where there's a lot of people coming to have their second doses. You can see there's a lot of people to move through the, the system, but we're out there working with um, various groups, various community members, you know, whether it's the uh, Hamilton Centre for Civic Inclusion or it's our uh, partners at Deswa de Desne, you know, we have our vaccine ambassadors who are out. And so anywhere we have those clinics that are out in the community in particular, we're working with the communities around those sites to make them aware of the vaccine clinic that's going on, answer their questions around vaccination and encourage them to come forward because we do want to see that rate continue to drive drive upward. What about the pop-up clinics? I know you had one in Stony Creek a couple of weeks ago, and I guess it was uh, Winston Churchill on the east end of the city uh, last weekend. Are those going to continue? Yeah, so we were very fortunate the last couple of weeks. We have actually the provincial ministry clinics come out. They have mobile clinics that come out to help vaccinate in areas. They've been in Peel and Toronto um, through their uh, issues with their hotspots. They'd offered to come out to ours these last couple of weeks, so we've been really pleased with that. Now they've moved on to Waterloo to assist them where we know they're having challenges with the Delta variant right now. And um, so we'll continue with our own pop-up clinics, our clinics that do happen out in the community. Some of those are run by ourselves, and some of those are actually run now by our partners. So Refuge is running uh, Restoration House. Uh, Deepwater de Desney will be running uh, the Perkins Center clinics. So we're, we'll all be working together to do these uh, these clinics across Hamilton. No, but this is not just show up and get the vaccination. You still have to make an appointment, don't you? At this point, yes, we're still um, having people book their vaccines. We continue to look at um, where it does make sense and when it makes sense to move to the to the walk-in model. So that's something that that we continue to consider. But at this point, we're still doing uh, doing appointment-based clinics. Uh, and they, they can call the city number. We'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes, or the provincial number, I guess, to register in situations like that. Now, Doctor, you mentioned that uh, your staff are also fielding questions about that. Are, are you getting a lot of people concerned about uh, the mixing of vaccines? That's obviously the latest incarnation of what's going on here. And I think we had Dr. Uni on the program yesterday explaining why this was happening. And I'm still getting the, the sense that some people are, are still a little nervous about this. I think some people are, you know, this has been a, a very um, unusual time for all of us, you know, this last year and a half, dealing with a new virus, dealing with a pandemic, closures, dealing with, you know, new vaccines being created, brought to market in a way that um, we aren't used to, to being a part of. And so as we've uh, we've talked about it, people have wonderfully been getting really interested in what is happening following it and and making decisions around it. And so this new stage with the interchangeability between vaccines is some new information. So no doubt people have some questions as we move through it. You know, you're hearing from all of the uh, the experts. You had a great uh, range of them on uh, just before this piece talking about how interchangeability of, of the mRNA vaccines is safe, it's effective, and particularly right now as we're going through this phase with the Delta variant, it's, 
really important that people move forward and get their, their second doses or their first doses as soon as they possibly can. And I know that the, especially some of the people that, that got that first dose of AstraZeneca are now a little concerned that, well, you know, you would, we, and some that actually even got the second are saying, well, you know, we were misled in situations like that. And as, as Dr. Uni uh, tried to explain to us yesterday, uh, the, the, the dynamic has changed here. We're dealing with a different form of the virus now, aren't we? Yeah, we are. With the, with the Delta variant, that has changed, and so that has, uh, has changed things. I think as well, you know, it, you're really seeing the system in action, and so uh, vaccines come to market and, uh, and are utilized, and they're closely watched from a safety perspective after uh, they've come out, and then the advice uh, continues to be modified as, uh, as we understand more about it. So anybody who's gotten a dose of AstraZeneca, they're eligible to go ahead at the 8 to 12 week mark and have a second dose of mRNA vaccine, which is now the preferred um, route to go. Um, we do know some people already had two doses of AstraZeneca, and that is great. They are well covered as well in terms of, uh, of this, this virus. So either way, there's, there's options open to people, and uh, it's just, as we've talked about, important to go ahead and get that second dose booked in, the, in arms. And, and the key takeaway there is, is if you've got two doses of AstraZeneca, you're, you're fine. Uh, you know, we already saw the efficacy numbers on those, and they're fabulous. They're you know, just, I think, a couple of percentage points below Pfizer, and, and which is, you know, what some people still think the gold standard. But these are all interchangeable at this stage. But uh, we talked about the mixing. Uh, because there might be a shortage of Pfizer, and we want to caution people, it doesn't mean, not, not like we had a couple of months ago, but it might be, uh, we're told a few days late in getting some supplies in. Uh, is it safe for somebody who got a first shot of Pfizer that will get Moderna as a second shot? Absolutely. It's safe to go ahead with that. And uh, and this is where, whether you've had Moderna and then get offered Pfizer or Pfizer and get offered Moderna, it's uh, it's safe to do that, to go ahead with that vaccine and, um, you know, most importantly, to get that protection against the Delta variant. So good news and good information about that. I'd like, if I could, doctor, to talk a little bit about uh, the impact it's having on community here. The vaccination program seems to be going along well and the numbers are starting to get better and that's fabulous. Uh, but as you mentioned, we're still dealing with a variant, the Delta variant, and uh, uh, it's now we're told is the dominant variant here in Ontario and uh, we still have cases here and sadly uh, a, a couple of deaths, uh, I guess, over the weekend about this. But the stat, the stat here that jumped out at me that I wanted you to comment on, uh, for those who think, well, you know, if I'm old and frail, maybe I'm going to be more prone to this and that's certainly a possibility but 67 percent of the city's active cases right now are among people under 50 and 17 percent of those cases are among age 19 and under so uh demographic is is not really a factor here i mean this is this is a variant that can i guess attack just about anybody yeah that's right you know certainly what we saw early on was we saw the people who are most vulnerable being affected those in long-term care homes and retirement homes and, and of course when the vaccine came out those were the people who were quickly vaccinated because we knew that it hit them hardest and as well we've been working hard with people with medical reasons why they're vulnerable um, as we go forward and, and other reasons why they're vulnerable and that's why we've been accelerating the vaccination programs amongst you know, black and racialized communities and and um, our indigenous communities and others. So those have all been important strategies to try and reduce um, the impacts from it. But what we really did see as we went forward then was that, that we did see our cases mostly in those younger age groups. And as the uh, the second and third waves hit, um, unfortunately, the, the transmissibility of the, what was the alpha variant then and is now the delta variant is higher. And so we're seeing those higher case rates. We're definitely seeing all age groups being affected. 
um, you know, and, and unfortunately all age groups being affected as well with, uh, with hospitalizations and, and, and serious complications. And so that's why, you know, moving forward with this, this vaccination program is absolutely critical, but also why public health measures continue, continue to be essential um, as we're going through this stage. So while we're very pleased with our vaccination rates getting uh, getting further up, we do have some time yet to go until we're at a place where we can really relax on all of those measures. How is uh, the impact on hospitals? I know that a couple of months ago, of course, you uh, and a number of representatives from Hamilton Health Sciences and St. Joe's were talking about, you know, how dangerous this was going to be with this variant right now and the impression that, that it was going to cause great angst, of course, with ICU, uh, you know, numbers going up and, and hospitalizations going up for that matter, too. Uh, I, I'm assuming from what we're hearing now with these numbers declining on a pretty regular basis right now that the pressure on the hospitals is eased considerably? Yes, here in Hamilton, that is the case. The pressures are reducing, and that's very good news because we absolutely want to um, start to move through higher rates of surgeries that require those ICU beds and and make up the backlog of uh, of care that is a very real thing for all of us. Um, But we are, of course, still monitoring what's happening and aware of things we've heard from our our counterparts in other regions where they've had higher rates of Delta variant, that they do see those hospitalizations and, and ICU cases go back up, unfortunately. And as a, as a, um, a tertiary care center, an academic health science center here, Hamilton is one of the key areas that backs other regions up. And so uh, it's, uh, it's something that's going to be watched very carefully as we go forward. So we're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. I know a lot of folks are thinking, boy, if we get all these vaccinations and get both shots, uh, well, we've seen some of the people down in the States at some events, uh, sporting events and, and other things, you know, throwing the masks off and say, you know, happy days are here again. But this is, I, I imagine, a process that's going to take quite a long time. It's going to take some time to unfold. And, yes, you know, we do see that happening in, in some other jurisdictions in terms of when they can move forward. I think we've all seen what can happen when we go forward too quickly. Um, and uh, that we do need to be cautious in terms of, of what is going on with the, uh, the Delta variant and where we're at with our vaccination program. But we do need to move forward, and that's where, you know, with, under the reopening plan, with uh, looking at the targets that are set out, making steps forward, seeing how it goes, waiting the 21 days, that's a good plan. Um, and so we'll just move through that together and uh, and, you know, continue to, to make sure that those vaccines are available and that uh, we're, we're getting the best protection we can. There are still some people, though, that are talking about uh, the possibility, not the probability, but the possibility of a fourth wave. Are you concerned about that, or is the vaccination rate uh, at such a point that you figure that we can probably ride this out? Well, you know, we do do some modeling, and uh, we have a group across our Hamilton Healthcare Partners that, that looks at modeling with this Garzin model, and you'll have seen a presentation at our Board of Health one of the concerns is, will we have a, a small fourth wave as we open back up? And that'll depend on just how transmissible the variant is. Uh, depends on how low we get case rates between, um, you know, after this third the period that I'm seeing we're very pleased with. Um, and uh, ultimately, uh, the less viruses there, the less uh uh, opportunity there is for variants to be generated. So that's the other reason why we really want to see those numbers low. Exactly. Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, as always, doctor, thank you so much for the time and uh, for the clarity on this. We really do appreciate this. Thank you, Bill. Take care and stay well. 
You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Amazingly enough, uh, despite the fact that there are a lot of people that are saying, look, at just let's open everything up. Uh, many people are pretty much fed up, I'm sure, with COVID restrictions these days after about a year and a half. Uh, we've had to abide by some what some people think very restrictive uh, measures that have been installed by the government. But uh, not all of us are ready to say goodbye to some of those measures. I think there's a comfort level that a lot of us are feeling. Global Sandy Salerno has details. Nearly 70% of Canadians who responded to the online poll say COVID-19 restrictions should stay in place as people continue to get vaccinated. Leger Executive Vice President Christian Burke believes we will see that number come down in the weeks to come once governments announce they've reached their vaccination targets. Meanwhile, the poll also showed how the pandemic has impacted the wellness of Canadians. 36% of respondents say they aren't exercising as much as they did before COVID. 16% say they are drinking more booze and nearly 40% admitted that they put on some weight gaining 16 pounds on average. Sandy Salerno, Global News. So we've got some work ahead of us, I guess, uh, when we kind of get out of there. But we are still apprehensive about this, uh, about the restrictions and about the possibility of what might happen with the Delta variant, I guess. Uh, Joining us to talk about this is uh, Dr. Barry Packus, who is a public health and preventative medicine physician and a professor at the uh, Dalla Latin School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. Uh, Doctor, uh, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us again today. Good morning. Let's look at what's going to happen here and what's coming ahead. And, and maybe the most obvious question here is uh, about our feelings about this pandemic, but more importantly about the virus and, and the variants. Uh, how concerned are you about the Delta variant? Is this, It's not something that's going to go away anytime soon, is it? No, I, I am unfortunately concerned. You know, like almost all Canadians, everyone on the whole planet, to be honest, we're really ready for this thing to be over. Um, and, and really, if you'd asked me two weeks ago, I would have said, we're, we're just on the cusp of, you know, getting rid of most of these uh, restrictions and, and opening back up. But unfortunately, the news from places like Israel and the UK, you know, among several other countries that had things under control, vaccinated, you know, really quite well. Um, but now they're seeing the Delta variant is really increasing, particularly among unvaccinated people. But the trouble is, if not everybody is vaccinated it's even spreading to people who are vaccinated. And, and we just really have to be worried about that in Ontario. Are you concerned about the, I think, relatively high number of people that have said that just they're not going to get vaccinated at all? Yeah, you know, that, that is uh, unfortunately a challenge. You know, before the Delta variant, we kind of could have said, you know, the, the people who are going to get vaccinated are going to be protected. And, and those who are not, that's their choice. And, and they may get themselves into trouble. But unfortunately, that's just not the way it's panning out. Because while the vaccine is incredibly effective, 95% effective, when you do have spread, the more spread you have among those unvaccinated people, the more chance that it's going to spread to vaccinated people. Uh, and basically, I think we're going to be okay in terms of hospitalizations and deaths, hopefully continue to decrease. But if what we want to do is get rid of those public health measures, we're not going to be able to do that until a much higher proportion of our population is vaccinated. But what I'm hearing from some of these people, and I, on a pretty regular basis, I, just about every time we bring the subject up, and I'm, I'll get them again today, uh, two or three people will say, well, I'm not going to bother with that. And, and some of them are fearful of it. Some of them just don't like vaccines to begin with. I understand that. But they seem to be under the impression, I guess, doctor, that uh, if, if everybody else gets it, then I'm going to be covered as well. But that's into the herd immunity thing. But the numbers I'm seeing on that indicate that that's a moving target, and we, we may or may not even achieve herd immunity in this situation. Yeah, that's right. Unfortunately, you know, with, with the original COVID strain, we, we probably thought maybe 65, 70 percent 
uh, vaccination or herd immunity would have been okay. Maybe with the UK variant, we would have gotten away with 75 to 80%. Unfortunately, with the Delta variant, and, and even more unfortunately with anything that might come after it, we're, we're really looking at 85 to 90% at, at least that need to get vaccinated in order for us to have some kind of herd immunity and really to take away some of these uh, public health measures. And, and that really doesn't leave a lot of people able to just say, you know, I'm going to opt out. Is, is that achievable, 85 to 90 percent? That's a pretty lofty goal. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is higher than anyone else, any other country in the world. But you know what? To be honest, what we've seen among the polling in Canada, for the most part, is we've got this 8 to 9 percent on average, you know, a little bit more in Alberta, a little bit less in other parts of the country, um, that is, is truly hesitant. The, the other sort of 20 percent of people, or in Ontario at least, you know, three million people who haven't been vaccinated yet, even with one dose. Most of those people are not truly hesitant. They just haven't, you know, either had access or just, you know, haven't bothered or don't feel motivated to get up and get vaccinated. So, you know, if all of those people do, in fact, get vaccinated and we're just stuck with this stubborn, you know, eight, nine, maybe even 10 percent, I think we can we can we can do it. But but if we don't get our friends who are just sort of on the on the fence vaccinated within the next two weeks, um, that's where we may see this gradual creeping up again that, that none of us want to see. How does it manifest itself in the body? Let's talk a little bit about the impact that, that if, in fact, uh, somebody were to be exposed to, to the Delta variant, exactly what it would be. Because I, I can remember some discussions, I guess about a year and a half ago, Doctor, with, with the original uh, COVID virus. Uh, some people I know that had actually contracted it, and it didn't have to be hospitalized. Uh, they stayed at home and roughed it open. They said it was probably the, the, you know, the roughest three or four days of their life. And I, is, is that the sort of thing people can expect if they, if they get sick with this? Absolutely. And, and we know that the, the alpha variant or the UK variant was about one and a half to two times more severe than the original COVID. And now the Delta variant is one and a half to two times more severe than the UK one. So, you know, really an order of magnitude worse. That still means some people are going to be more or less asymptomatic, but other people are going to be, you know, as you described, just feeling it's absolutely the most horrible illness they've ever had. And then many people are going to end up in hospital and unfortunately dying of it. And, and we still are seeing that. We're still seeing ICU and deaths, not to the extent uh, that we were seeing in the peak of the third wave, but we are still seeing it. And the, and the Delta variant is really what's causing it. One of the things that I, I guess that needs to be talked about here and maybe raising red flags is, is how quickly the the, the 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 variant if in fact you are you are testing positive and you start to feel kind of miserable like that how quickly it manifests itself in the body i mean it can be a matter of hours that it can progress very quickly that's right it does you know it, it just causes this generalized inflammation and that can manifest in a whole bunch of different ways from just feeling unwell to really being unable to breathe or fever or, you know, all those things we've been hearing all the way along, just that much more severe. And, and it has been unfortunately happening in people who have had a vaccination. Uh, it's much more rare, but it still can occur. So the, the key thing here is that we have to get almost everybody vaccinated. So if you have been vaccinated, you still have a job to do, and that is getting your friends and relatives vaccinated. So let's let's talk about going forward. Even if you've got second shots, and I'm still a couple of weeks away from my second one. I've got a book, but it, it's, it's coming up. Uh, I mean, masking, social distancing, the things that we're using as our protocol, the tools that we as individuals have been using, I would imagine that's still going to be part of our lives for some time to come. Yes, unfortunately, it looks like it will. You know, the time still will tell if we really can get to that 85 to 90 percent uh, first dose. And then, you know, by the end of the summer, all those people getting second dose. I think we really will be in a place where we can dispense with some of that. 
um, you know, indoors, potentially in schools or, or really close quarter environments, we might still have to have that. To be honest, I was really hoping we weren't. You know, in somewhere like Israel, they had just gotten rid of indoor mask mandates, including in schools just last week. And then because the you know children weren't vaccinated up to the rates of the adults, um, they started having some school outbreaks there. And that's exactly what we want to avoid come September. I'm anticipating right now that there may be an awful lot of people that want to keep the mask on anyway, whether it's mandated or not. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of apprehension uh, for the for the first little while, uh, maybe going into the summer and even maybe heading into the fall after Labor Day. That a lot of folks are saying, "Look, at I I don't want to just go crazy here because I don't want to catch this thing, and it's still going to be there, isn't it?" That's right. You know, unfortunately, though, you know, we can't rely on just the people who are being a bit nervous about it. Continue wearing masks if it if it does look like there is still spread that the Delta variant is, is, is really dominant and that not everybody or not enough people are vaccinated, we're going to have to keep those mask mandates in there because it really is those people who are less anxious, less concerned, interacting more, who are also the ones who are not going to be wearing masks, who unfortunately are going to be able to infect people even who are wearing masks or being careful themselves. That's just the way, you know, this pandemic uh, has worked since the beginning. It's not just about what you do as an individual. It's about what we do as a collective. This is the third variant now, the Delta variant that we're dealing with. And as you say, each one has been progressively more dangerous. Uh, is it is it uh, uh, something that we can anticipate or is it inevitable right, that, that there will be more variants down the road? Well, so the trick is with the variants is they, they develop and they, they mute, things mutate um, when there is rampant spread. So if you have far fewer cases, there's far less likelihood that variants develop. And when you have many, many cases, it's very likely that these develop. So in somewhere like, you know, Ontario right now, where we have 200, 300 uh, cases uh, per day, it's very unlikely. It's still possible, but very unlikely that a new variant develops. But other places in the world where things are really unchecked, that is where some of these variants, um, uh, even, you know, more severe than the Delta variant, could develop, become more dominant. And then, of course, depending on our border controls at the time and really depending on our overall vaccination rates, uh, those may end up in Canada. Which is uh, what we saw, obviously. I mean, the Delta variant that we're talking about right now, uh, we're told, originated in India uh, some months ago and, and just ravaged that country. We seem to be handling it right now, and I guess the vaccination rate is, is maybe one of the key factors. Absolutely. You know, the, there's there's the vaccination rate, there's the continued, you know, we're still in lockdown in yeah. Ontario, and there are the border controls. And And, you know, I was very excited, like everyone else, that the border controls are being relaxed. But again, I can you know turn to Israel that's done an incredible job um, in managing the pandemic, certainly in the second and third phase. But they had rules similar to what we're about to go to, where if you're vaccinated, you don't need to quarantine. But now they've just reversed that in the past couple of days in that people from certain countries, even if you're vaccinated, they actually still have to quarantine. There's an awful lot to learn here. And, and as you mentioned, there's other jurisdictions, other parts of the world uh, that seem to be well, progressing differently. I mean, we, we learned about the UK variant, of course, but we also learned about uh, mixing vaccines from some of the studies that were done in Germany and the UK about this. Uh, but the, the Israeli situation is very instructive, I, I think, too, isn't it, Doctor? Because last time I read, they were, I think, 90 or 91 percent uh, vaccinations, yet they're still experiencing a number of cases of the variant. That's right. So Israel, uh, you know, very different demographically than we are in Canada. They have a lot more kids. Thirty five percent of the population is children. And so they had ninety one percent among adults, you know, even three months ago. And, the, and, you know, COVID virtually disappeared. They were truly back to normal, getting together in really big groups and concerts and all that. But with a couple of little introductions of the new Delta variant, 
the problem was school was still in session and all you need is a couple of variants to get through. And when you have this large population of kids that's not vaccinated, then you have a number of outbreaks. And so, you know, reasonable people over there thought, you know, I don't really need to vaccinate my kid, even though I'd be happy to because it's just not necessary. Now they're realizing it's necessary. So, you know, that's something in Canada if we're hoping to have a return to school in September that's as normal as possible, right now, before school is over in the next couple of days, is when to start getting our kids vaccinated between 12 and 15 so that they can get their second dose before they get back to school and things can be as normal as possible. What about the kids under 12? I, I know they're still working on that, and we don't really have a time frame for that, but that would seem to be uh, the next logical step. And in the work that's being done to, to prepare for that, doctor, uh, are they talking about a different kind of vaccine or just a, a, a smaller dose of the ones that we're using right now? What's, what, what's available there? Yeah, there are studies going on right now, the Pfizer vaccine, and I believe the Moderna vaccine as well, all the way down to, to two or six months, um, I believe. And those studies hopefully are going to be out sometime in the early fall um, and, and it may be a little bit of a smaller dose or it may in fact be the same dose. Um, you know, pediatricians are very keen to say that kids are not just little adults, but you know, when it comes to vaccines, they may or may not be. We're going to see how the data, um, you know, what kind of data we get about that. And the sooner we get it, the better. But, you know, in Canada where, you know, we have a very different population than some other places in the world, most people are actually above the age of 12. And if we can do an excellent, not a good, but an excellent job of vaccinating everybody above the age of 12, I think, you know, the kids younger than 12, we're still going to have to have some public health measures in place. But I think we'll be in a pretty good place come September. And, and your message to people that are holding off on that second shot because of the, the concern about Moderna and, the, the, you know, the, the, as you say, the very rare situations where some people are having some cardiac problems right now. Uh, what would your advice be to those people? No, I would, I would just advise them to get that second dose. You know, I've done it myself, advised other people. I was, I was vaccinating yesterday in a vaccine clinic, and, and almost everybody that I immunized, literally everybody actually was second dose, which is unfortunate because we really want to get those first doses into people, but I would not hesitate. You know, there, there are these cases of myocarditis, very, very rare. You're certainly far more likely to get myocarditis or even worse from COVID itself. And, and, you know, it, we, we just need to think about it on that level, you know, literally driving to a vaccine site or just going shopping, uh, you know, that risk when you're going driving in just in the car is actually a higher risk than almost any of these possible rare side effects. So I would definitely encourage everybody to get that. Well, and we have to remind ourselves about some of the other long-lasting stories. We've heard about people that have had COVID. They survived, uh, but as you mentioned, cardiac problems, respiratory problems, uh, brain fog. There's a number of things going on. Let's, you know, defend ourselves against that sort of thing, too, and that's that second shot, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That You know, the, the, the brain fog and, and just the overwhelming sort of lack of wellness, let's say, people just not feeling as well as they did before COVID. We're certainly seeing a lot of that. There are clinics popping up in academic centers as well as other places to help treat those people. And anything we can do to avoid that, we should really do that. And it's all about the second dose after, of course, you've got the first dose. Dr. Veripakis, as, as always, doctor, thank you so much for the time today and for the advice. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. A lot of us would like to get on a jet airliner these days. It's been a long, long time and travel, get out there, start spending our money and enjoying the summertime. But, uh, well, it's not happening as fast as a lot of us would like. Uh, yesterday it was announced that fully vaccinated Canadians and permanent residents will soon be able to return to Canada without mandatory quarantine. 
Public Safety Minister Bill Blair cautioned us, though, that does not mean that all travel restrictions are being lifted. Fully vaccinated travelers who are eligible for the reduced measures must meet the pre- and on-arrival test requirements. They must be asymptomatic upon arrival, and they must provide contract and travel information, proof of vaccination electronically through the Arrive Can app before arriving in Canada. So therein lies the problem. And I, I think a lot of people were anticipating a much broader announcement about maybe opening the borders and letting people travel a little bit more, but it's not forthcoming, not yet for a while. As we've talked about on this program many times, uh, the hospitality, food, and tourism industry has been just devastated by, by shutdowns and lockdowns. Uh, and it's going to take an awfully long time for it to recover when we start opening up once again. How is that going to look? And, and how is the industry surviving? Well, let's uh, bring our next guest into the conversation to talk about that. Dr. Marion Joppy is a professor with the School of Hospitality, Food, and Tourism Management at the University of Guelph. Uh, professor, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Let's talk a little bit about uh, about the status right now. Uh, and we know here in southern Ontario especially, of course, in Niagara Falls comes to mind, but all the border towns are, are really looking at, at the, the loss of, of business right now. Uh, you know, There's no convention business. There's no hotel business right now. Uh, what, what's it like for this industry right now? And is, is there any hope? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Well, the light at the end of the tunnel really lies with Canadians being allowed to travel. I mean, we really have to focus on that domestic component of the industry, um, which in, in good times was about 80%, give or take, uh, of, of all revenues in Canada. So it was always a, a, ch- a sizable chunk, and, and now it's, you know, it's the only thing we've got. Um, so as long as those restrictions start to ease up, um, and there really is very little reason not to ease them up considering the the numbers that we're seeing um you know then they have a hope but we mustn't forget that it can't turn on a dime and this constant you know extension a little bit longer a little bit longer that is the part that is really killing the industry because they can't plan for anything they can't hire they can't train they can't onboard people because they they don't know what's happening and when it will change and and they don't fare many options do they really professor when you look at it that way i mean if, if you're running a restaurant for instance yes they've been really bothered by this as well but you can do you know curbside delivery there can be a number of other things going on uh if you're running a hotel or you're running a, a, a any other you know hospitality industry business like this uh, there, there's there really isn't much of a plan b there is there there is not and and uh the government is very slow in providing details to the industry. Um, you know, I mean, water parks are supposed to be able to open up. They have no clue at this point in time what the rules are going to be because the government hasn't told them. So, you know, how many people do they hire? What do they need to put in place? What what measures? None of that has been made clear, and and that's the same for for just about everybody in the industry, and so it's it's really hard on them. I, I don't know if uh, the average individual understands the the magnitude of this and just how how devastating this can be. Obviously, to local businesses, and many of these are small businesses, uh, but there are people that come from other parts of the world sometimes to 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 work in these industries as well. Tourism, the ski resorts, of course, and and a number of resorts in the summertime, uh, and they're not first of all not allowed across the border. So I mean, there's going to be a staffing issue like that. And how do you plan for something like that? Because the government still hasn't given us a timeline. Uh, and, and I contrast that, professor, with what's going on in the state 
dates right now where we know when Broadway's going to open up again. They've already told us it's going to be just after Labor Day, and they're going to start showing shows again. And we don't, we, they, they, they have some, some finality to what they're doing. Uh, we just have questions on this side of the border. Yeah, and, and it is very frustrating when you look at the states because um, we have now surpassed the states when it comes to vaccination, uh, at least in the in the one dose category and, and pretty close in the second uh, dose as well. And yet they keep changing the goalposts. You know, every time they tell us a target, we meet it, we exceed it. Oh, we've changed the target. Uh, you know, now we have to do this. Now we have to do that. And that, that leaves everybody very frustrated because that is not what's happening in the States. And, and yes, uh, I mean, even California, completely open now. Um, you know, uh, yes, some of the, the large venues may be at 50% capacity, but still, uh, life has pretty much returned to normal. And you sort of say, well, why can't we? Is there a chance and or concern in the industry, and, and we're talking about well the travel industry especially, but uh, tourism in general? Uh, let's face it; I mean, you know, from June until about September is when a lot of these tourist attractions make most of their money because that's when people are traveling back and forth, uh, not just around the border, but even within the country as well to come and attend some of these facilities. Uh, but f- for people that that are looking for that kind of entertainment, or even Americans that used to come up here to do that sort of thing, do they start looking for alternatives down there? I mean, you know, and once they find that, if they you know, if they go to another place for a convention, for instance, as opposed to, to Toronto, uh, they may never come back to Toronto because they're happy with where they are now. Yes, and, and that is a risk. It's even a risk from a, a, a leisure perspective because with the, the quarantine ending uh, or the requirement for quarantine ending, people are going to say, I'm just heading down south. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to any of the places in the States where I don't have restrictions. And when I come home, sure, I'll, I'll get my COVID test, you know, three days before flying. No biggie. Uh, I have a test on arrival. Not a p- big problem either. You know, and, and so life goes on. Whereas in Canada, we're still saying, oh, no, no, you can't do this and you can't do that. Let's talk a bit about the restaurant business itself, because we've seen that, and, and uh, it, it, we saw a renaissance before the pandemic. I thought with uh, some fabulous initiatives, and uh, you know, we had microbreweries, of course, and, and that's a tourist attraction, and that was part of another a growing industry. But but especially restaurants, and we saw a number of those in the Hamilton area uh, and right through southern Ontario. Some some fabulous entrepreneurial types that got involved in this, uh, but. <laughs> How how can they actually hang on? And part B to that question is even when they say, okay, you can open up, and some of them are getting open up again, at least patio dining anyway, but not everybody has a patio. Uh, but this is money that they're never going to make back. I mean, it's not like, okay, okay I'm going to go over to Winners, I'm going to buy 10 pair of pants instead of one pair, and, and they can say, okay, we're making money back. Uh, you're only going to order one meal. And, you know, the money that they did not earn over the last 18 months, that's gone forever. Absolutely. Uh, and, and it's very, very hard on those businesses because what's also been devastating is that we had uh, several times now these partial openings and then shutting back down. So they had just reordered all the food and stocked up and hired people and then were told to shut down again. Um, I mean, there is hundreds of thousands of dollars that they have lost just with that alone. Uh, n- never mind the pandemic itself. Just these actions by the government without, uh, you know, warning, without uh, lead time, uh, doing this, this changing of the, of the mind really has been devastating for that industry. 
You know, we were just talking a minute ago about Broadway opening up, and that's fabulous news. I love live theater. My wife and I love to go all the time, especially in the summertime. Uh, but there's a theater industry in this side of the border, too. Yes. Stratford has, has dark again this year. And, uh, yes. you know, little small theaters like Drayton and, and so many other places around southern Ontario, uh, there are actors and people that are involved in those productions that depend on that as their livelihood. Uh, and you can't just say, okay, well, we're going to have a play next week. I mean, you have to hire actors. You have to rehearse. You have to. There's a lot involved in this. You can't just wait and, you know, for the government no. to decide it's a good idea. In other words, even if they set up next week, okay, you guys can open up, the chances of actually having something happen in the summertime are pretty much gone now, aren't they? They are. They are. They're, they're very difficult. Uh, you know, and people in, in government often don't understand the magnitude of the workforce that is involved um, and, and the time that is required to actually get them to be uh, those frontline workers, like you mentioned, the actors. Yes, it takes a long time to rehearse a play and get it ready uh, and get the costumes and everything else. But it's the same with, with a lot of, um, you know, the, the hotels and restaurants. I mean, just take something like Blue Mountain. Blue Mountain hires a thousand people for the summer season. Uh, you can't do that, you know, in a week. It takes months of planning because you can't even get that many people in Ontario. So they tend to go to, to places like Barbados and, and bring in trained workers from down there because it's off season in Barbados um, and, and it's prime season here. So, but that takes planning. It all takes, you know, time. And the government has just not given that any thought whatsoever. Uh, we were just up there last weekend, as a matter of fact, and I, I got to tell you, Professor, it's pretty quiet up there, uh, as opposed to past summers, you know, when you couldn't even find a spot in the parking lot because of all the activities that are going on. But but you're absolutely right; those things are gone. There were bike rallies every weekend. There was always something going on in the village at Blue Mountain just about every weekend, summer, winter, fall, and all yep. through the seasons. Uh, and that's it's it's dark now. It's 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 awfully frightening. And and as mentioned, you know, as I'm, I'm just picturing this in my mind's eye as we're talking about, uh, it, the village has all these fabulous restaurants and shops there, but I'm Above that are our condos. Those are you know rooms yeah. that are not getting booked these days because I, I don't know how they're hanging on now. That's a rather large company that owns that, a conglomerate that owns many of them in North America. So I guess they can hang on. But what about the the people that are actually managing those shops in there? I mean, they're they're the ones that are putting their blood, sweat, and tears into this, and, and there's not a whole lot of return on it. Yeah, no, and unfortunately, I fear we're going to see a lot of bankruptcies when we come out of this. Uh, a second summer lost to... Many of these small businesses, they can't survive that. But this was such a growth industry for us, especially when it came into tourism. I know we, we've talked in the past about the impact that tourism has, and I know if you live here, maybe you don't notice it as much, but uh, you talk to the hoteliers uh, in, in different parts of southern Ontario, and they rely so much on, on U.S. traffic to come in here. I mean, well, we talk mm -hmm. about live theater. I mean, people want to come in and see a show on, on you know in Toronto. They stay overnight in a hotel for a couple of nights. They have dinner at the restaurant. So yeah. there's a there's a, a spinoff here for this, this whole industry that's happening right now uh, that's been blocked off and, and the, I guess the concern that I'm hearing from an awful lot of them is how are they going to come back and when are they going to come back and are they going to be apprehensive about actually coming back exactly and and uh, as, as you said earlier the summer is when they make uh, the money that allows many of them to survive the rest of the year and uh, with with that pretty much gone um, they're not going to have the financial wherewithal to survive another winter. 
Doctor, what do they need at this stage? I mean, I, I know governments will come back and say, well, we've got assistance programs and small business programs and, and the CERB program, et cetera, for salaries. And uh, we can ag argue about how effective some of those programs are. And, you know, I know they're well-intentioned. Uh, but this is an industry, as, as a, a friend of mine who does so, uh, a lot of work in the travel industry so this, says, you know, we're one of the hardest hits, and it's, we're probably going to be one of the last to get back on our feet simply because of this. You just can't flick a switch and say, okay, uh, two Tourism is back. Exactly. And it would require the government to continue those support programs for this industry uh, probably well into next year. And I doubt that they're prepared to do that. And so then what? Um, you know, as long as those programs are in place, maybe the businesses can hang on uh, and wait for better times. But once they're gone, uh, that's it. Well, that's what bothered me when the Prime Minister was talking about that a few months ago now, and he talked about sunset clause for some of those contracts uh, and mm -hmm. some of these programs that are going to be out there. Uh, and if, if he's, they're basing that on the fact that they figure everybody's going to be healthy again by the end of the year, I, I think that's being rather optimistic and maybe even a little naive because uh, this is going to take a long time. Let's face it, restaurants are not going to be open to full capacity immediately, uh, You know, even if they only bring half staff in. Uh, there's half the other staff that are not going to be employed. They're not going to get money. Uh, the person that owns the facility, you know, instead of having you know 40 or 50 people in there, might only have 10 or 12 people in there. They're not making much money either. So this is going to take a long, long time to get back. Yes, it will. And, and that is also on the assumption that uh, a lot of the workers are hanging around, whereas many are not. They are finding work elsewhere, especially the ones that are better educated and, and higher skilled. They've simply moved on into other sectors. So uh, the, the industries already, you know, where they are opening up are already screaming about the shortage of labor. And that's not just Canada. That is literally every country that's opening up from the United States to Australia, desperate to find the workers because it's been so long people have moved on. And I understand the dilemma here, and we don't want to, you know, go too quickly here. We don't want to see a fourth wave. I understand that, and I, I get where they're coming from. So they're going very cautiously forward here, or some would suggest not very forward at all, but cautiously. Uh, but I, I, the sense I'm getting, though, Professor, from a lot of the people in, in all facets of this industry is just give us some idea when and give us a time frame. In other words, what benchmark do we have to hit? What date do we have to hit? I mean, I'll use Cal or, well, Alberta as an example where, you know, the premier last week, Jason Kenney, announced that as of Jan or July 1st, uh, they're open full capacity for a restaurant so they know they know what's going to be happening they know okay this is when i have to hire people this is how i have to you know order supplies etc etc there's a time frame we don't have that in ontario no we don't and and that is a part of, of the dilemma for the industry that there is nothing concrete and as i said we keep changing the goalposts because they have said oh we'll open up when we hit you know 70 percent vaccination and then, oh, no, that's not good enough. We, we now have to have this other goalpost. And then we meet that one and we change it yet again. So, uh, you know, they, they have never really been definitive about what it is they're looking for and what will help make the decision. And I know they're going to come back and say, well, yeah, we have a plan, you know, that by the 21st, this is going to be open, this is going to be open. Uh, but that's not much of a help, I guess, to the people in the industry right now, in this industry in particular. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's one of the things that the government got criticized for in the past, and I think it's actually a pretty legitimate criticism. Uh, when you're talking about 
you know, getting the economy back in, uh, in Ontario especially, uh, it's so multifaceted, Professor, that you can't have a one-size-fits-all uh, plan. I mean, you've got to actually develop a plan for different facets of the economy, don't you? Uh, yes, you do, uh, because each industry has its own, uh, you know, peculiarities that, that need to be addressed. You can't treat a restaurant like a resort, for instance, even if the resort has a restaurant. But they are very different businesses and very different, uh, uh, you know, management practices behind them. So, yes, the, the government needs to be much more uh, nuanced in, in how it helps various sectors. And, you know, the, the question, and, and I understand why they're sort of shutting the entire province down, even though we have regions where there isn't a single case, and, and there hasn't been for a while. Um, you know, they have not reported anything, and they're still shut down. And I, on the one hand, I understand why the government is doing that to sort of say, oh, well, people out of the GTA are just going to go to those areas, and, and then, you know, then they'll bring it back. But... We're holding a lot of people and a lot of businesses hostage for a certain group of people that is not respecting rules. And that seems pretty unfair as well. It does. Well, I, I suppose one measure of hope here is that uh, you may remember a couple of months ago the uh, Ontario government uh, asked uh, Tim Hudak, who's actually a former tourism minister uh, yes. from years ago, to tour the province and, and get this kind of input from uh, from the members that we've just talked about here too. And I'm, I'm hoping that that report comes sooner than later uh, and it has some pretty strong recommendations. We'll certainly be watching for that. Uh, Professor, as always, thank you uh, so much for the time today and for your uh, insight into this. Uh, stay well and we'll talk again soon, I hope. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Dr. Marion Joppe, of course, professor at the school at the University of Guelph, talking about hospitality, food, and tourism management, one of the industries among many that have really been hard hit by the lockdowns. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.